I, I just think this would be a great movie. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was a dashing Texas Ranger who had a reputation for taking the toughest jobs and always getting his man. And he always did so, wearing a diamond pin on his lapel. This week we look at another true tale of the Texas Rangers, the legend of Diamond Dick, Ernest St. Leon. But first, where is your favorite ice cream cone in Texas? Um, I'm going to say that uh, my favorite ice cream cone in Texas was at uh, my Nana's house. Uh, every summer when we stayed there for our bedtime snack, we'd have some Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. Um, usually in a traditional Comet cone from the that she bought at the PX on the Air Force Base. Um, I can't think of an ice cream cone I liked better. See... The cone thing is the tricky piece here, because they just say, like, you know, volume-wise, it's going to be, like, it's obviously going to be something like uh, a Dairy Queen, you know, but um, best is tough. Two great local joints here that I will shout out. There's a place called Guster's that does custom popsicles, but a lot of them are just really ice cream in a popsicle shape, like crammed with Oreos and other kinds of crap that's amazing. <clears throat> but if you want a truly gourmet dish, I recommend you check out the uh, old school Andes right off the main drag in Tyler. They do uh, frozen custard, and they'll do like, uh, oh, all the crazy like um, concretes and malts and all the real deal. But they really don't yeah. do much with cones. Well, so Andes is, Andes is a chain. It's a regional chain. So they do have them in like Missouri and stuff. So they're not uniquely Texas, but they're pretty good. Um, I'm going to go with... Henry's Ice Cream in Plano. Uh, it has been around forever. They recently moved after like 25 years to a new location in Plano uh, from one ancient shopping center to another ancient shopping center. Um, they're quite good uh, for, I don't, I haven't been there in a little while because I can't eat ice cream anymore. Big, big surprise. Um, but oh, at one point, there's some food everybody loves that you want to poo poo. I can't eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, up to a surprise. certain point, they didn't take credit cards. They only took cash. So, and as far as cones go, my favorite are chocolate-dipped waffle cones. As a matter of fact, you can just leave the ice cream off and just give me the chocolate-dipped waffle cone. <laughs> I'll be perfectly fine with that. Relatively little is known about the early life of Ernest St. Leon. It is not known when he was born, but his parents were French Canadians who immigrated to Texas. Some sources say he was born in Texas, and others say his family immigrated around 1880. They settled in San Antonio, possibly drawn by the nearby Alsatian French communities around Casterville. At some point in his teens, St. Leon's parents died, and a San Antonio judge was appointed as his guardian. He was a bright enough boy to be able to secure admission to law school, but like many young men on the frontier, adventure called to him. He left to join the U.S. Cavalry and had a distinguished career participating in the Texas Indian Wars and attained the rank of sergeant. According to some accounts, he killed three Comanche single-handedly after one of his men had been killed. After leaving the Army, St. Leon joined the Texas Rangers, serving in Company D of the famed Frontier Battalion. He served with distinction in the late 1880s and worked extensively in undercover operations, using contacts he'd made as a soldier. He also formed a close friendship with John R. Hughes, at the time the sergeant and second-in-command under Captain Frank Jones. 
St. Leon was eventually dismissed from the Rangers, though, because he couldn't control his drinking. And this must have been a big deal uh, at the time to be kicked out of the Texas Rangers in the 1800s for being too much of a drinker. Despite this, he kept in contact with Hughes and worked with him in an unofficial capacity for a time, using his undercover, using his undercover contacts as an informant for the Rangers. In 1889, St. Leon was hired by the Fronteriza Mining Company, and he learned that a group of silver ore thieves had stolen a large load of ore and were transporting the loot via mule caravan to an abandoned silver mine outside Shafter, Texas. St. Leon posed as one of the outlaws hired to escort the caravan and led the robbers into an ambush he had planned with Hughes and another ranger, Lon Odin. A gunfight erupted, and three of the bandits were killed by Hughes, Odin, and St. Leon. The bandits were buried next to the abandoned mine, and the stolen ore was returned to Fronteriza. In 1890, St. Leon was reinstated to Company D of the Rangers by his friend Hughes, and he established a reputation even among such famed company. He acquired the nickname Diamond Dick because of a diamond stick pin that he always wore, whether dressed fancy or shabby. It was more than pretension that led him to wear this stick pin, though. He always maintained it was given to him by his mother, dead many years, and that was his good luck charm. Despite his dandy name, Diamond Dick had a tough reputation. He was not afraid to use his guns, and his devotion to duty was legendary. He once was chasing a man who stole a horse and buggy in El Paso, and he boarded a train to get ahead of the man. He had to do this three times, eventually catching the thief out of, quote, pure doggedness. St. Leon arrested the bandit Inez Gonzalez at the time, the most wanted fugitive in Texas. He tracked down Gonzalez, and when he found out where he was, he simply went to Gonzalez's father-in-law's ranch without backup, and he arrested him. The El Paso district attorney told newspapers, Diamond Dick, who made the arrest, is one of the most diligent rangers in the service, and there is not a man better liked by his brother officers. St. Leon had a number of important cases and notable incidents, both good and bad, that added to his reputation, though it's sometimes difficult to tell what is really fact or legend. He single-handedly broke up a big gang of thieves that was robbing the Mexican central boxcars down between Chihuahua and Torreon, that's in Mexico, presumably where they were operating in Texas across the border. He brought two miscreants who he caught in the act of trying to wreck trains on the infamous Baxter's Curve near Sanderson, an area where train robbers had previously loosened the rails and caused a derailment. St. Leon was able to prevent another tragedy from occurring. In another incident, St. Leon and another officer went to Sisters Hospital in El Paso to deal with the hostage situation. A man who had gone insane had become violent and was threatening to kill the hospital staff with a knife. When the rangers arrived, this large, extremely powerful man panicked and jumped under a bed. St. Leon lassoed the man's feet and drug him out from under the bed. It took six men to subdue him and take the knife away, but they managed to get him. St. Leon was strong-willed, opinionated, and loved to argue as much as he loved to drink and take risks, sometimes with disastrous results. During his time of the Rangers, he'd been a watchman for the Galveston-Harrisburg and San Antonio Railroad in the town of Sanderson. One night, he got into a heated argument with an elderly track foreman who said that he could defend himself from any attack with just a wooden chair and faster than St. Leon could with a pistol. Of course, St. Leon begged to differ, and soon insults were exchanged. Quick as a flash, St. Leon stood up and drew his gun. The old man leaped up and made a grab for his chair. To both men's horror, St. Leon's pistol went off and he shot the old man in the leg. He couldn't explain why he shot the foreman other than to say it was an accident. And after a doctor arrived to patch up the foreman, everyone shared a hearty laugh. 
However, other incidents at the train yards were not quite as comical. He and another watchman caught a thief one night, and as the local paper reported, quote, the fellow showed fight and the officers had to wipe the earth with him before he would surrender and allow himself to be taken to the county jail. In 1893, St. Leon's friend and fellow ranger Captain Frank Jones was killed in a fight with outlaws at the Mexican village of Tres Chacalas. We talked about that a few weeks ago. John R. Hughes was now the company D captain, and the rest of the company swore revenge on the Ogun gang, whom the Mexican government had refused to bring to justice for the killing of Captain Jones. St. Leon once again went undercover, using his border contacts to track down and locate the bandits. He spent time living among the Mexican and Tejano peasants along the border and was able to compile a list of 20 names of men involved in the fight. He provided this information to Captain Hughes to be used as a death list, and he joined the posse that hunted down or lynched between 18 and 20 members of the Ogun family, and they wiped out completely this pirate island-based gang. St. Leon served with distinction in the company for the rest of the 1890s, but never rose above private, which seemed to be fine with him. He also married and had several children, and was very popular and admired in the El Paso community. In August 1898, St. Leon was sent by an El Paso Justice of the Peace to the town of Socorro, Texas, to arrest two horse thieves, John Collier and Bob Finley. They'd been stealing horses from the city's pound. Leon arrested both men and learned that they were recovering their own horses from the pound, and he decided that settled the matter and let them go. Just after dark, though, he heard gunfire and learned that it was Collier, Finley, and another cowboy named John Ray. St. Leon decided to go arrest the men for reckless discharge of their firearms. He deputized a doctor named Oscar Bro as his deputy, and they went after the men. As they rode out into the dark, they saw three men approaching on horseback. St. Leon ordered the riders to surrender, but they opened fire. Dr. Bro was hit in the head and died instantly. St. Leon was shot through the lung. St. Leon fought back and hit Ray in the leg and wounded Finley's horse, driving the assailants away. St. Leon, despite being mortally wounded, rode to the nearby town of Isleta and found a doctor. He died of his wound shortly afterwards, on August 31, 1898. Collier, Ray, and Finley surrendered themselves to the Justice of the Peace, who had ordered them arrested in the first place, and Captain John Hughes took custody of his friend's killers to face their justice. Sadly, they were never convicted, arguing self-defense, and were set free. St. Leon was buried at Concordia Cemetery in El Paso, which is a famous cemetery that's also the final resting place of legendary outlaw John Wesley Harden. His death caused a bit of a scandal when the El Paso press reported that St. Leon was to have a pauper's burial. The public was outraged, and donations were taken up to give him a proper burial. In truth, St. Leon's wife paid for his burial, and Captain Hughes promised her that she'd be reimbursed. This wasn't enough for the public, though, who considered Diamond Dick to be a local legend. The head of the Texas Rangers had to publish an article discrediting the rumor and assuring the public that the Rangers took care of their own. Oddly enough, St. Leon's grave went many years without a headstone, but several years ago his great-grandson, along with the Concordia Heritage Association and the El Paso Historical Society, erected a marble headstone to his memory. Though he's largely forgotten today, at the time he was an extremely well-known and popular figure, as is evidenced by the outrage that El Paso citizens had at the notion that he'd be buried as a pauper. But beyond El Paso, he appears to have had a degree of fame and legend. During the 1890s, dime novels about Diamond Dick began to appear, 
those storied paperbacks of the Old West that featured, as famed dime novel writer W.W. Beauchamp said, heroes embodying the spirit of the West. It's unknown if the novels were named for Ernest St. Leon or if he was nicknamed for the magazines, but it's without a doubt his reputation that preceded him. As his friend and fellow officer, Tin Ike, said, Diamond Dick was a good officer. He took altogether too many chances, I think, in most cases. I have known him for some time, and a more persistent traveler after criminals I have never met in all my life. Running them down seemed to be his only hobby, and he seemed to enjoy the chase after them. He was in the field most all the time and ever, and always had his eyes peeled for offenders against the law. Well, that's a fine epitaph. Now, for some reason, in my mind, um, about halfway through recording this, um, I began picturing Diamond Dick as uh, Bradley Whitford from The Good Guys. <laughs> hmm. You're busted! <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah. it, it seemed to fit. Maybe it was the description of him uh, lassoing the guy under the bed and dragging <laughs> him out and uh, those other sort of legendary arrests. That's, that seems like something that uh, that character would do. Yeah, so anyway. See, see, the diamond part, I think of like the Monopoly man with the monocle and everything, but riding a horse. <laughs> but then being like, you're busted. You're busted. I... I just think of, uh, I mean, if you see the pictures of him, he looks, he really looks like, uh, like Kurt Russell did in Tombstone. He's got that big mustache and, uh, um, that slick down hair and he, he really does. But I mean, he's, he looks definitely like a person of his time and, uh, oh, yeah, he really does. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but but um, the French Canadian thing, it's like if you ran into that guy and like you put a bowler on his hat and you put him in French Canada and you were a, or yeah. a fur hat and you'd be like, Oh, that works too. Yeah, he might have had just a trace of an accent and, you know, oh, OK. Uh, but, um, you know, even if he did half of these things, I mean, why have they not made a movie about this guy? Because th- I think this is whole story. This this whole Trace Chicalis Company D story probably wouldn't play very well today. But, <laughs> but, it might be know, problematic. With the, con- with, the, with the conflicts between, you know, the Anglo and the uh, Tejano and the Mexican elements. But. But still, I mean, this guy, I mean, he had, he lived a life and, and, uh, I think the problem is, is that the reports, they don't really state his age cause they don't really know when he was born. I see some that say he was 29 when he died, which means, you know, he would have had to been born in 1880 and, uh, or 1879. And then he, so he would have had to been in the army at six. Yeah. So, yeah. His, uh, I'm looking at, uh, yeah. well, I'm looking at yeah, I'm sorry. You no, know, I said when I shared a link to you guys, but uh, you know, if you take a look on Find a Grave, they've got a real a couple of nice pictures of his actual grave out in uh, yeah. in El Paso, and you can see it. They they officially list him on his on his marker as 1859. Oh, okay, Good. but it's got yeah. Diamond Dick right there in quotes on top of his grave, so that's pretty. It's pretty. So he nice. was late 30s, yeah. or early 40s. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know, it doesn't matter. If you shot at any age, you're probably going to die. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's true. I'm just <laughs> saying. He he. Uh, I, I just think this would be a great movie. I mean, he this would really be a great great western movie of this garrulous, you know, dandy kind of guy. But then he gets, you know, he it's both. He, he, Shane Black could write this movie because like. Because the comic incidents of him uh, shooting the old man over the argument about which faster the chair or the gun. Well, I like when he like ropes the guy out from under the yeah, hospital ropes bed. Yeah, crazy man to bring him out of the hospital. 
Yeah, no, it's. I think it's. I think it'd be a delightful film. So uh, Hollywood, if you're listening, yeah, give us a call. Um, you know, the thing is, is I feel like there's a there's no bottom to the well of like great Texas Ranger stories. And that as you look at these, like the different phases of what the Rangers sort of are, what they represent, what their charter is, and you see how they've evolved over the years. There's still lots of. Um, interesting shenanigans and, and wild stories to find. Great story. It's a fun character. Yeah. Diamond Dick. Just another uh, wonderful character in a, a long string of wonderful characters in Texas and Texas Ranger history. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. Hey, do you love Texas? You know you do. So help us out. Get out there and tell your friends about what we're doing. And show them, even if they're old, how to install podcasts on their phone and listen to what we do. So subscribe. Go leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, nobody's stopping you. Go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-a-Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. 